Would you take your scriptures? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We will be reading the entire chapter. 1 Peter 1. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethany, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, is reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, glory, and the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the great grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit of in sincere love of the brethren, love one another most another fervently with pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which gives the life, which gives lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. 
May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to your throne. We come because we know who you are. You're the one and only true and living God. There is no other like you. We have read your word and we know the only help we can ever get will come from you. You tell us that you will give us words and wisdom that none of our adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand. Let us stand firm and not be moved from this wisdom. Use your spirit and build in us a deeper and deeper understanding of this glorious gospel you have provided us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What's the hardest thing for a Christian to do? Is it to recognize yourself as a sinner? Is it to see your need of a Savior? Is it to submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord? Some people would say none of these things are particularly hard, while others would say one or the other is the hardest thing they have ever had to do. But I think Peter has put his finger on the hardest thing for the believer to do. This letter was written to build up hope in those who believe on Jesus Christ. It speaks of all the Holy Spirit and his ministry to believers. To call us to do something none of us can do under our own power, and that is to be holy. We are called to be holy because our God is holy. This is a very hard thing for any believer to accomplish. In fact, it is an impossible task when undertaken by your own power. You cannot please God through your own efforts. That is why Peter has undertaken to show us the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent into this world to be your teacher, guide, and counselor. He came to point you to Jesus Christ to show you how to live your life in such a way as to be pleasing to your God. As Calvinists, we believe in the sovereign power of God. We believe that power is what works in our hearts to make us believers. There is no way any man can come to Jesus Christ unless the Father first draws that man by giving him a new heart and new spirit, putting his own Holy Spirit into him and teaching him to be obedient. Once God has done this marvelous work, he does not abandon you. The Holy Spirit continues to work in your heart so that your sanctification is as much the work of the sovereign power of God as was your justification. The work again believer, the born again believer does not do works to earn from God anything. The works you do as a believer are works prepared from before the foundation of the world. These works are the demonstration of God's sovereign power at work in your life. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians that we are to be imitators of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, 1 through 11, he explains this idea. In Philippians 2, 12 through 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We've already said you do not earn anything for yourself in the process of salvation. So the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling doesn't relate to your gaining salvation. 
It relates to your progress through this process of salvation, which is made clear with the words, for it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. God does not save you and then desert you. He continues to work his will in your life by his sovereign power. You are saved by grace, sanctified by grace, and you will, on the appearing of Jesus Christ, be glorified by grace. So what is the hardest thing for believers to do? Is it to live your life in such a way as to bring esteem to this one who has saved you? Is it to let your own sinful ways go and follow without question the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Peter said in the verses immediately before this passage that you as a believer are to be holy. Why? Because your God is holy. In this section, 1 Peter 1, 17-21, Peter opens for you an understanding of how you can do this. First, he explains your need to come in reverent fear to your God. Second, he says the only way you can do this is through the redemption purchased for you in Jesus Christ. Third, he shows the only way you can learn of this is by revelation given by the Father for your sake. Fourth, he tells you this will only be made clear when understood in the light of Christ's glorious resurrection. Peter writes to teach and counsel his readers on how they should, as believers, live their lives. He reminds them repeatedly about this wonderful relationship they have with their Heavenly Father. They are the called, the chosen, the elect, children of God, and this Heavenly Father, their God, is holy and just in every way. Verse 17, And if you call on the Father, who without impartiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear. The NIV translates this differently. In the New King James it says, and if you call on Father. The NIV correctly captured the essence of of what Peter means. Since you call on the Father. The and if establishes the idea of something these folks have been doing since becoming believers and therefore carries the idea of since as expressed in the NIV. Since you are an obedient child of God, since he is your father, since you are you do call on him and have called on him, since he gave you the new heart, you must understand he is an impartial judge. You are not gaining from him anything because of your own works. What does it mean then when he says he judges each man's work impartially? This means he judges the person without looking on that person, thus making an outward mask totally useless to a man. In other words, you cannot fool God with hypocrisy. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees the heart of each man. He judges not according to outward things, but what is found in the heart. In Jeremiah 5.3, the prophet asked the question, O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? It is faithfulness to God's word that God searches for in the hearts of men. 
Paul makes this point very clear in Romans 2, 2, when he says, but we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. My friends, you must get this message. This is important. You do not discharge one single duty before God when you do something only outwardly. God cannot be fooled. He sees into the heart. Yes, the law directs our hands and feet, but it requires of us right hearts. It is most concerned with our minds and spirits. God is concerned with the sincerity of the heart. He is concerned with how committed you are to his son, to his word, to the guidance of his Holy Spirit. He is not looking to any merits you have earned by your outward obedience. What a tragedy to place your trust in your own works, in the keeping of rules and regulations. To do that is to guarantee failure. It guarantees failure because God will not consider any of that in his judgments. He is only concerned with how strongly you have held to his truth, to Jesus Christ, as the only one who could possibly save your soul. Therefore, he says, conduct your time here in fear. Separate yourself from the work of this world, that is, from the pleasures, desires, and wants of this world, and focus your attention on the things of God. This doesn't mean you cannot have anything in this world. It means you cannot place your confidence, your trust, your security in things that come from this world. The NIV adds the word reverent, making it reverent fear. It's a good addition because it makes the idea stand out. This fear shows great respect for this one who judges men according to their hearts and not their actions. Paul said, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is the same idea. Take this call of God to heart and recognize you cannot earn from him anything. Open your hearts to God's word and follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Live your lives in such a way as to focus all of you the glory and honor on him and on him alone. How do you do that? Peter knows how hard this is, so he gives to some he gives he gives you some insight into how to do this. Verses eighteen through nineteen. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter says, knowing that you, what is it you know? You know as a true believer, the key to living a holy life. You know how to begin living this holy life. You know how precious a price was paid for you to be redeemed. You know this price, so this great should be the greatest motivator for you to hear God's word and follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. For anyone to come to an understanding of this great and wonderful redemption, then to turn away from it would be to make his salvation worthless. That would mean not only his salvation, but also the priceless blood of our Lord, by which God has manifested 
this great salvation. My friends, none who know the grace of God can ever hold the blood of Jesus Christ as having no effect. Therefore, there is nothing which should stimulate you in this life of holiness more than the memory of the price of your redemption. In case you don't remember, which for the true believer would be impossible, he tells you about this price. He says you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. What Peter is doing is rating the cost of your redemption. He compares it to the perishable things of this world. Silver is mentioned first. Silver is very resistant to corrosion, but if it's left where it can be exposed to any kind of sulfur compounds in the air, it will tarnish and will lose value. He then mentions gold, which is more durable than silver. But still, even though it is a very resistant to corrosion, it can over time, it can over time decay and be lost. The things he need, wants you to, to know is that earthly possessions do not qualify to purchase your redemption, no matter how precious they may be in man's eyes. Isaiah 52, 3. For thus says the Lord, You have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Peter wants you to keep in front of you the pricelessness of your redemption. You can never do anything to earn this redemption. You can never come up with anything from the earth with which to purchase this redemption. If you keep this in front of you at all times, then you will be motivated to work hard at living your life. And living it in such a way as to show your great appreciation for all God has done in saving your soul. Then he tells you something else to keep in your thoughts. He says in 1 Peter 1.17, and I'm reading from the NIV, You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. It's very common for men to think of the word redeem in a reflective sense. In other words, to think they are the ones responsible for their redemption. To believe they have regained their precious standing before God by their own actions. Remember, another way men look at this word is in the sense of redeeming a gift certificate from a store. You take the certificate in, you exchange it for something of equal value. The word redeem is also used when you fulfill a financial obligation such as paying off a bill. These ideas of redemption are compatible with the Old Testament usage of the word, but not so the New Testament. In the Old Testament, everything was centered on you doing the work. The work that would redeem you. That's the covenant of works. In the New Testament, there's the change. Now the focus of this word lies in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Titus 2.14. Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. This agrees with what Peter is saying right here. He uses the idea of redeem to refer to Christ's death and our salvation from sin. He says you lived in an empty way of life 
and that was given you by your forefathers. This empty way of life was a life without the Holy Spirit as your guide. It was a life apart from the grace offered in Jesus Christ. It was a life without holiness, a life devoid of people. It was a spiritually dead life. This dead life came from your forefathers, be they Jew or Gentiles, because all men sinned in Adam and were spiritually dead. Your sinful nature was given you because of man's rebellion in the garden. Please, if you don't get anything else from this message, I beg you to listen and try to understand that there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Only the person who places his trust in Christ and in him alone will come to the Father in heaven on the last day, for there is no salvation, no redemption apart from him. Well, this is the heart of Peter's comments about redemption. He says there is no way, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus Christ came into this world to live the perfect life you could never live. That life was required because without a perfect life, there would never have been a sacrifice sufficient to cleanse anyone from sin. Jesus went to Calvary's cross to pay the price for the sins of his people they could never pay. He shed his blood in order to redeem them from their slavery to sin and Satan. Your salvation is not your work. It's the work of Jesus Christ in fulfilling the eternal plan of God. This is what Peter says you must always remember. I am saved by God's sovereign grace. I am redeemed by Christ's sovereign work. Therefore, I am to live my life so as to bring glory and honor to this one who has given me such a wonderful and marvelous gift, eternal life. We sing of it this morning when we sang, I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse he set me free. Not only does an understanding of the redemption we just we have in Christ's name or help is to live this life in appreciation to God. We also find this wonderful revelation he has given us in his word gives us great assistance to this task. Verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. This he indeed was foreordained. This idea of being foreordained decree, agrees with the concept that he was chosen. In the council of peace held before the world was created in which the triumph God devised the plan of redemption, Christ as the second person of the triumph Godhead was chosen or ordained to the role of Savior. Please understand, God did not create the world and man and put them together only later to find there was a problem. God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. He foreordained that your salvation would come through the works and merits of Jesus Christ alone. How are you going to know about this wonderful coming of your Redeemer? Through the revelation he has given through the scripture? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, 
through whom also he made the worlds. God made the universe by his word. His word is Jesus Christ. He has appointed this son as the heir of all things. Therefore, it is only through him anyone else can come to the Father and receive anything from him. He gave in the beginning prophets many signs and wonders to point it to this coming Redeemer. But now, in these last days, in the days since Christ came into this world, he has spoken to us exclusively through him. God does not use any other means through which to communicate his truths than through his word, his only begotten son. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He continues, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, in listening to this, didn't understand. So he asked Christ to show him the Father. Jesus went on to explain that he was the revelation of the Father. He said, I am the Father and the Father is in me. He goes on to declare, he and the Father are one. To see Jesus, to know Jesus, to understand the plan of redemption, the plan given in Jesus is to know the Father and his heart's purpose toward mankind, which is to be a God to those he calls and to have them as his people. Peter tells you why this should help you to live your life to esteem God. All of this was given, was revealed for your sake. John makes clear his purpose in writing the gospel in John 20, 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have eternal life in his name. The scriptures, this revelation of Jesus Christ, was given so that hearing it, you would be brought into a living and lively hope. Paul says faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Paul also tells us in Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. For your sakes, God has given these wonderful words of revelation. He has opened your heart by his divine grace, and this is the first cause of your salvation. You were saved by an act of divine grace. He's giving you a new heart. He initiates your salvation. He gives his word to continue this glorious work of redemption in your soul. He has made available everything you need to understand and know about your redemption. Therefore, by this revelation, you grow in your reverent fear of this wonderful God. This God who saves you and gives the desire to live this life in such a way as to bring esteem to this one who's given you eternal life? There's one last way. One last way in which Peter says you're helped in living this life in a way pleasing to God. Verse 21. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in him, are in God. How is it possible 
that I, a sinner, could believe in God. There's only one way through Jesus Christ. We just saw that Jesus said he and the Father are one. To see him is to see the Father. Yet, these people had never seen Jesus. 1 Peter 1.8 Whom, having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter makes the point to believe on Jesus is to see him. Jesus said that if he was to be lifted up, he would draw all men to him and all men would see him. This is the purpose of his coming into the world. John 1.18 No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Jesus Christ came into this world to reveal the Father and not only those who see who believe on the Son can come to the Father. It is through the Son, through Jesus Christ, that we are saved. 1 John 3.23 says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Paul told the Philippian jailer, the way to salvation was to believe on the name of Jesus. This is what we call the second cause of salvation. First is God's calling you from darkness into the light, the giving of the new heart. The second is your hearing and understanding the revelation of his work. It is this hearing and understanding, the work that Peter is focusing on here. What is the work? It is the resurrection of Jesus, his victory over the enemies that held you in bondage. Peter makes it clear. This is the work of God himself. He did not allow Christ to stay in the grave because Christ did not die to pay for his sins. He had none. He died to pay for the sins of his people. And if you want to live your life in such a way as to please God, you must keep this in your mind and heart. This is the heart of your redemption. It is by God's sovereign power and grace, by his love and mercy, that you are redeemed from this life of sin and bondage to Satan and death. Therefore, the focus of your life as a believer must always be on the wonderful resurrection of your Lord. Faith, simply put, is believing God. It is impossible to please God without faith. Faith is a gift given you by God. What is it that God has commanded his people to do? To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. To have faith in him and the work he has accomplished for your salvation. To believe that God sent him into this world to live the perfect life, die the atoning death, and win the resurrection victory. Peter says in verse 21, Though you, through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. It is this glorious work of redemption, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you come to understand the plan of God to bring eternal life to his people. In John 6, we're told, No one can come to me, Jesus Christ, unless the Father who sent me draws him. In John 14, 6, we're told by Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This agrees with Peter. Peter says, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. You come to Jesus Christ by God's divine action. And through him, you believe in God. 
God saves you by his sovereign power and makes available to you his revelation in his son. And through that son, you grow in your understanding of this God who has saved you. Through this son, you place your faith and hope in God and in God alone. Therefore, as you grow in your understanding of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work, you grow in your desire and ability to live your life in a way that brings esteem to God. In conclusion, I cannot stress to you enough the importance of placing your trust exclusively in Jesus Christ. There will be no one in heaven who has not completely and without reservation placed their faith and hope in him and in him alone. Acts 4.12 makes it very clear. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is another effect of this complete trust. There is no way anyone can live a life that brings glory and honor to God other than by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. As believers, you are called to be imitators of God. The only way you can do that is to be a reflection of his grace and mercy to others. The only way you can know and understand that grace and mercy is to be completely committed to Jesus Christ. You also have to be committed to the works he wrought on Calvary's cross. Thus, you must always remember the victory he earned on your behalf in his resurrection. I ask, if you're here this morning and are not completely and exhaustively, conclusively trusting in Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone for your salvation, then I ask that you would listen carefully. Jesus came into this world at the command of the Father. He came to do for you those things you could never do for yourself. He came and lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the requirements of the law in order to please God. He then offered that perfect life on Calvary's cross on your behalf to free you from bondage to sin and Satan. He won the victory over the forces of evil by his resurrection in order to make the way possible for all who would place their trust in him to come into eternal life with him in heaven. All you have to do, all you have to do to become a partaker in this glorious gift is to hear this gospel message, believe on Jesus Christ, and place your trust and hope in him and in him alone. Let's pray. Grant unto us this day, Heavenly Father, peace in our hearts and assurance of mind that you and you alone are in control of this world. You warn us not to think we are rich and have acquired wealth and need nothing. We must realize we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. We have to understand everything we have has come down to us from heaven as a gift from you. Father, open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand that we might come in service to you and your people. Help us, for we know we cannot help ourselves. Keep us humble and filled with amazement at your love and grace given in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.